You're here, which means that you've found spirit crumbs, leading you to your inner light worker. I will be sharing how these tiny little hints from the universe have led me to where I am today. I hope that by hearing my story and the stories of others, you'll pick up your own spirit crumbs along the way that will lead you to somewhere magical. Thanks for coming along for the journey. Let's see where it takes us. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Spirit Crumbs. I am your host, Andrea McCallum, and I am an artist and a healer. Today, I'm continuing the series on The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. As you probably heard last week, I did an introduction to the book in general, but today I am starting with week one, which is recovering a sense of safety. This was perfect timing for me because I also did the first session of my chakra healing journey last week on the root chakra, which also was a lot around safety as well. And what I decided to do for the series on this book was I actually completed the exercises throughout the last week. So now when I'm sharing this with you, I've already done the exercises and can give you an idea of how I approach some of them. And that way you can do them now in the week going forward. And if you choose to do what I did and just check in from now on, if you end up getting a week ahead at some point, that works too but I figured it would be easier for me to talk about each week if I had already done them. I've done these a few times now, but it's been a while, so it's like doing them fresh again. And the first thing that comes up with this practice of going through the 12 weeks for me is that I also wanted to approach this kind of how I did the Celestine Prophecy, where it's not me sharing all of the stories in it, because obviously anybody who has the book can read through that, and it gives some examples of how different people have experienced each of the themes in the book. But I am just going to share my own experiences and more of the core information that will help you work through each week on your own if you don't have the book. So something that comes up right away is the fact that artists really need at the core support from others. And it can be really difficult to get as someone who is creative or wanting to be an artist. We expect in the ideal that we would have within our family, we would have support and then our friends and teachers and people around us would all be wishing us well and pushing us into this artistic career. But that's really not realistic for most people. That's something that we really don't get all the way along or maybe not in the way that we need. Everyone receives support differently and gives support differently. So It's kind of like love languages where even if somebody thinks that they're doing something to support you, it might not not actually be perceived as support. Something else that is really necessary for artists and creative people is exploring urges and experimentation with new processes and new materials and new subject matter. And because there's always this chance of failure, which I have in like air quotes, it's not usually encouraged because in our heads, the way we're taught for most things is how to do them right and how to succeed. And I've been through a lot of art classes (laughs) and something I, and even in a creative career, I 
I know that the problem there is that art and creative projects are subjective. They're not objective. There's no like math, like, yes, you're doing it right. That adds up. And the issue with that is that we don't really have a way of just accepting that sometimes the like so-called failures or the things that we don't really like are actually telling us and getting us closer to what we do like. And even the fact that, you know, in school we receive grades for art. It's like, how do you decide whose art is good and whose art is bad? And what I learned in university, actually, I obviously that still is a factor. We still get grades, but a lot of how it's broken down is effort and how much you consulted others and engaged with the classroom. And some of my classes, my participation mark percentage is a lot higher than the actual work that we do. And it was frustrating at the time if you don't really have, especially when we were doing things online, but it really made us realize that when you're doing something creative, you need that sense of community. You need to have people who understand what it's like to do the kind of work that you're doing. And I think that we don't really get that necessarily in school when we're younger, like in elementary or high school. For me, that was a part of the book that really resonated. Julia Cameron mentions at the beginning, like the nuclear family is kind of where we expect that we're going to get this support right away. But often what she says is that parental fears are embodied. If our parents were afraid of doing something creative, or if they tried and failed at something, or if they were told that it wasn't safe to do that, then that's going to be passed on to you, whether they're actually saying those words or not. People are praised for being good at math or getting good grades or doing things around the house, whatever it is that is a positive behavior. And then they don't receive that when they're doing creative things and they don't get the same attention for that. It's just kind of like, oh, that's nice that you're doing that. Have fun. But it, it's not really something that people ask you questions about or take an interest in. That makes a difference for how confident you are in yourself, obviously. It's like anything. The, a quote that I wrote down here, there caught between the dream of action and the fear of failure, shadow artists are born. Shadow artist is something that I resonate with so, so much. And I think so many of us do. So what this is saying is that like, we know what we would want to do and how exciting it would be if we were to be able to actually do this thing that we are really feeling called to do. But we also have all of this memory and conditioning from being told that it's probably not going to work out and you're probably going to fail and you should choose something safe instead. What happens is a shadow artist is someone who is an artist themselves, but is not aware of their true identity. They tend to be like shadowing other people who are artists artists love artists. So you may be somebody who dates really creative people or artists or has a lot of friends that are creative. Something else that she says is that very often audacity, not talent, is what makes someone an artist and another person a shadow artist. 
she also talks about shadow careers, which is where you're parallel to what you'd like to be doing, but you're not actually doing the thing. And this is where like, I a hundred percent agree with this. I went to college for visual merchandising arts. And within that, we had a lot of creative classes, which I am really grateful for because on the surface level, the courses that I thought we would be doing, which we had were window dressing and fashion styling and those kinds of courses. But we also had like drawing, we had graphic design, event planning, home staging, drafting. We had a lot of different opportunities to explore creativity. On the one hand, yes, it was kind of feeding that inner artist, but then I got a job, you know, working in retail, doing merchandising and display work, and I did well at it and I moved up really quickly and then realized that it was only in the times when I was in a store far away from my bosses and like we had directives to do. And when they didn't have what I needed for the directive and I just got to make something up, that's the only time I really thoroughly enjoyed what I was doing. After a while, I realized I don't really love this. This isn't really like enough for me. After, you know, a few years, that's when I eventually realized I had to go back to school. But even then, when I first went back to school before I went into art. If you've heard my previous podcast episodes, you know that I started as interior design because I was like, that's a practical way of (laughs) applying this art stuff to something different where it's a bit more creative and there's a bit more creative freedom. But then I got there and realized, oh wait, I'm going to be like on a computer and probably working for someone else creating their vision too. So I really just resonate with that because I have so many friends who talk about this as well, where they end up in something that's like a creative type of industry, but it's not a job where they're expressing their own creativity. I think we're so afraid to call ourselves artists and I have to like consciously say it out loud. That's why I've changed my intro even because it's part of the process is actually acknowledging it. And that's the kind of the next point is that You have to take yourself seriously if you want to actually move forward and have other people take you seriously. And that's not the goal, but it does help. Another quote that is here is, creativity is play, but for shadow artists, learning to allow themselves to play is hard work. And this is really hard for me. Like, if I don't have a project that's telling me what I should do, sometimes it's really hard for me to just be creative and to just do that work of being in the flow. Even when I think about it, I think like, okay, I really want to just pull out some watercolors and just play, but I never do it because there's no outcome (laughs) and I'm getting better at it. I have pulled out my sketchbook off and on and done that a little bit lately, but that's something that's still hard for me because I'm still after being in school for five years and graduating and processing that and starting to realize what I do like to do. I still have that shadow artist that's like, okay, but how is this productive? (laughs) So we have to also realize that part of the problem with that is that we have this little artist within us, which Julia Cameron calls like your artist child that's within you and that artist needs nurturing. It takes baby steps. You have to think of it, which this analogy is used a lot, but 
considering the fact that if a baby falls down when they're learning to walk, we don't laugh at them and tell them that they failed. We encourage them to try it again. And so when you start out being an artist in whatever form that is, whether it's writing or singing, acting, drawing, painting, whatever it is, you have to realize that you're going to have some ugly art. There's going to be something unpolished. There's going to be something that's cheesy. You're not going to love it. But judging your early artist is, is artist abuse. That's a quote from the book. You're trying to do something to heal old wounds by stepping into your creativity, not to create new ones. The self-directed ones are really hard to escape because it already is your inner voice. So there's no like internalizing, like it's already there. A point that I think I have to realize, which I'm just now really like like acknowledging and realizing is that sometimes we have to really take away the expectations of being great right away. And in order to do that, sometimes it means we we can't share it with negative people too soon or with anyone too soon. And that's something I've realized in general in life is like when I'm really excited about something and it's fresh, I need to process that by myself sometimes. Not always. Sometimes you do want to share exciting things with others, but For me, if it's something that I feel like right in my soul, I need to journal about it. I need to really absorb it. I need to sit in that energy because if I share it with someone and then they have something negative to say, or they start asking all these like practical questions about it instead of just realizing my excitement, then that takes away that excitement and that becomes the new inner voice. So it's really important for me to make sure that my own inner voice about the subject or the project or whatever it is, is very, very strong and confident so that when someone else maybe doesn't have a great reaction, it doesn't really affect me as much because I'm already very sure that I'm excited about it. And this is something in general that we work on. And the goal is not to be too concerned with what other people say or feel, but It's just a way of training yourself to celebrate yourself first, being your own number one fan. And that takes a while, but it's something that I think really has helped me is just being proud of myself for doing the thing as opposed to having an expectation of what it's going to look like or how easy it's going to be for me. And something that comes from this is the concept of negative core beliefs, which are things that really over time we hear over and over again. And then those become facts in our head instead of beliefs. It makes it so that being stuck feels safer than the unknown of stepping into something that's creative and being an artist. It's kind of like an unconscious response to these negative beliefs. Sometimes it's cultural or societal, so it could be stereotypes like that artists are broke or drunk, irresponsible, unhappy, that only people who are naturally good can be artists. But often it's actually the ones from like friends and family and teachers that stick with us more, even though sometimes they're not as obvious They're like more subtle, but they get stuck in your head. Like when somebody calls something a hobby or says it's not your thing or laughs when you show them something, even if you get bad grades for it, those actually stick with us a lot more because they feel more personal. It feels more like 
somebody telling you personally that you're not good at it or that you shouldn't do it. Because of that, we have to start the deconditioning process. But the main thing to remember is that those are beliefs. They are not facts. They can't be a fact. If you haven't actually tried to do the thing, if you haven't gone out and done the thing, then you don't know. Even if you're doing it and you just haven't fully found your own inner artist and maybe that's why you're following along with this maybe you're like me and you've already done a lot of the steps to get there but now it's just working on your belief within yourself this can really be something where we have these either ors that come up this is a really great part in the book that i really appreciated because it says like you can be happy or you can be an artist you can be financially successful or you can be an artist she says to replace that with and you can be happy and be an artist you can be financially successful and be an artist or replace that with whatever it is you want to do and whatever those negative beliefs are that impact you the most if you create those statements for yourself it can be really really helpful Something that happens is when we're trying to build that confidence in ourselves, when we see other people that are already confident and maybe even like cocky or overconfident, that can really be a mirror to us. It can really be a trigger because we're like, how are they so out there? They're so entitled, whatever it is we might think. And it might really annoy us. But when people are out there doing that, We're just really envious of their confidence and their success. And so it's like anything in life. If something annoys you and someone else, you have to look at where either you're doing that too or where you really could use a bit of that. So maybe if they toned it down a little and you took the extra for now, (laughs) that could be really helpful. Something that also comes up in this book that is really key is that That voice in your head that tells you that you can't do it or that really starts convincing you that you're an imposter and that you shouldn't be doing it, that is a sensor that is in your head. So she calls these this your sensor. And this is not truth. This is just kind of the spokesperson for all of these negative core beliefs. It's not reality. It's just trying to keep you in that like safe mode. And again, the theme of this is recovering a sense of safety. And so your ego in general, this is like a shadow work thing that I think that's the other point that I kind of wanted to make with this is that this is basically shadow work for artists. So even if you're just not sure how to do shadow work, a lot of these processes are very similar to just doing regular shadow work. A lot of these objections are just natural. They just come up and she calls these your blurts. So things you just blurt out in your head. And a good practice from the book is to write those down and then flag any of the ones that come up a lot that are like your core beliefs so that you have an idea of your personal negative core beliefs. Because like I said, there's general ones that are out in society, but then there's the ones that you personally have been told that have impacted you. And then the idea behind this is that then you can create an affirmation to counter each one. So if one of yours is, you know, you're, I'm an imposter, then I might say, no, I went to, art school, got a degree and was on the dean's list. I'm not an imposter. I am an artist. It is something that's helped me in the past and it's still helping me. At least I'm aware of it now. So when it comes up, 
I can tell myself, oh no, there it is again. That's not accurate. That's not actually how I feel. And some of the blurts that come up for me because I am somebody who likes to research a lot in human design, I'm a five one. So my natural thing is to share and to like find patterns and tell people what I think could be helpful to them. But my unconscious is the investigator. And so I'm always wanting to have all the information before I share. And sometimes it keeps me from doing things when I feel inspired to do them, because one of the things that comes up for me is that I haven't researched enough or I haven't been doing something long enough and I should spend more time on it. That is something that sometimes is just not true. Sometimes we have to realize that our experience is valuable that we have more experience than other people who are just starting out and that what we have in our experience is different than even someone with the same amount of time because we are different people who have had different life experiences. And so we have a different perspective and that's something that I've worked through. So I would encourage you to go through that activity and to really go through each blurt. As you're writing down affirmations for yourself, that's one of the activities is you write down any affirmations that resonate with you. Some of the examples in the book are, as I create and listen, I will be led. Creativity is the creator's will for me. My creativity heals myself and others. I am allowed to nurture my artist. Through the use of a few simple tools, my creativity will flourish. My creativity always leads me to truth and love. My creativity leads me to forgiveness and self-forgiveness. There is a divine plan of goodness for me. As I listen to the creator within, I am led. I am willing to create. I am willing to learn to let myself create. I am willing to be of service through my creativity. I am willing to use my creative talents. Any of those, if I was saying them and you repeat them, if there's any blurts that come up, anything telling you that it's not true when you're saying it, those are things that you need to create maybe a new affirmation for that directly addresses what's coming up because I think you'll find patterns in there. And then, as I said before, every week there are tasks that you can do and you can choose the ones that you resist the most and the ones that you're most excited about and then decide which other ones to do. And in the first week, one of them is just to start getting in the habit of doing your morning pages, which I did, of course, every day. And then the artist date is the second one. And for me, it was very simple. But yesterday I had a lot of energy. So I did a bunch of projects and then instead of doing more work, I actually just stopped and put on Christmas movies, made myself a nice dinner. And then after that was like, I'm also going to make some cookies. And so I actually baked cookies, which was really fun. And it kind of was just something that made me feel creative, but also just relaxed. And I think it really helped me just decompress from the week. Most of the activities in this week are called time travels, where you go back in time and think about certain situations that are on each theme. And so one of them is to list three old enemies of your creative self-worth. 
this can be really big things that really form those negative core beliefs. It could be something as simple as a teacher from like when you were eight years old. It can be a parent, it can be a friend, it can be anything that really comes to mind. So thinking of three of those things. For me, I don't have any really big, like no one was ever like, you're terrible, but there's enough of like the subtle things. For example, when I was in school, I, so at this point I was like in my last year of school, I was doing this spiritual work as well. I was doing it publicly. I, I had trusted my own gifts enough to do that. And I had a couple people say, oh, it's nice that you're, you're pursuing your hobbies. And I was like, this is like, it doesn't matter what you do. If somebody else doesn't see that they, there's value in their own inner artist, they're not going to see it in you. And that at the time was kind of a slap in the face because I was doing it professionally and I was in my last year of a degree <laughs> to be an artist. And if somebody at that point can't still see that it's not just for fun, like why would I go back to school for art when I was like 30 just for fun? <laughs> I was trying to pursue something that I'm good at, that I want to be my career. That was a time when I just, it still stuck with me and it was more recent. Like I said, I didn't have a lot when I was younger that I can really think of like moments where somebody said something negative about my work, but that was something that really stuck with me. And then I had somebody else around the same time frame when I was putting all of my spiritual offerings out there and I was talking about some different art things I'd like to do and how I would like to have my own studio sometime for other people to come and work in and do like workshops. And their question to me was, oh, but you're still going to teach, right? Because I had talked about teaching at the college or university level. And while, yes, that's still something that I may do at some point, it's still something that interests me, but the point was that that was not in my plan that, you know, I had shifted and was more confident in just doing the art and the spiritual offerings. And I was telling them that I was confident in my own abilities to do this. So sometimes they're more subtle. Like I said, it's not somebody intentionally being like, you're bad at this or you can't do this. And it's the same as like when I'm doing what I'm doing and somebody says, oh, are you looking for a job? And it's like, are you listening to me at all? Like, do you know me? Those kinds of things are a little more subtle, but they are impactful. And so one of the time travels is to really write out the details of one time. If you do have something, when somebody said something to you that was hurtful or a situation, write it out. And then one of the other activities is to write a letter of defense to the editor, like explaining why you're justified in like feeling this way about it and like what they did and really just working that out. Because some of these instances where these things happen, again, really impact those core negative beliefs. And then on the opposite side, a lighter side, you time travel and write down three champions and create your hall of champions of people who always did believe in you. And for me, I had to realize this is also something important because sometimes it's when you didn't believe in yourself, so you didn't receive it. And I know in last last episode, I talked about how my high school art teacher would always tell my parents that I could go to university. And I didn't realize until recently that he meant I could go for art. He was a champion, even though we butted heads. And yes, I handed everything in late. 
I also realized I was self-sabotaging because if you don't do your best and put it out there and you're not vulnerable, you can't be told that your best is bad. And so by handing it in late and maybe not spending as much time on it as I could have, even if I got a bad mark, I'd be like, okay, but that's only because I didn't spend a lot of time on it, right? I could justify it. I wouldn't have to really see what would happen if I put all of my heart into something and then got a bad mark. From doing this exercise was another way that I really processed that. And then I had another champion more recently when I went to interior design school and my prof was like, you should go to university for art because I think that that's what you're good at. And I think you would thrive there. And that was really big because I enjoyed that class that I was in. It was the most creative class, but I still thought, okay, just to be safe, maybe I should stay here and just do this degree. So I have something that is marketable, that is a, a useful skill, right? So that was a really good champion. Obviously, like my mom has always like, she buys my prints. She, when we were young, we used to put artwork and stuff into the local fair and my mom would make sure I got that stuff put in. I also had teachers at my first school when I was really young that would do things to make sure that my gifts were nurtured. So I would write a story with pictures and my teacher would let me read it out loud to the class. I also wasn't very social and I liked to just draw and write in my journal during like playtime. And my senior kindergarten teacher would actually let me pick a book and go and read it to the principal so that the other kids wouldn't see me just sitting by myself. And so I could feel like I accomplished something. And I always felt really good about that. That was something that built confidence in me too. And then it's funny because one of the ones that kind of crosses over between the monster hall of fame and then the champions hall of fame for me is my bosses when I was working in the menswear department traveling for merchandising, because they would be very brutally honest and be like, this looks awful. This is bad. When I was first starting out, like, I don't like this, even if it wasn't that bad and they just like, it wasn't what they had in mind or whatever, they would just be honest. But then on the flip side, they would always compliment me when I did a good job. They trusted me to do stuff on my own. They didn't check up on me all the time. And then when we were doing a really big thing, like a new store opening or something, my boss would actually pick me to do all of the tabletop mannequins. So I would be picking outfits myself. I would be steaming them, dressing them, just based on what I thought would look good before, because there was no directive when we were starting out new. So Stuff like that really helped build my confidence in my own creative eye. And then a really fun one to do, which I would encourage you to do, is to write down imaginary lives. So you pick five different lives or careers that you could live. And it could be anything. You could be a rancher. You could be a pilot, a psychic an author, a singer, a doctor, whatever, anything that you think would be interesting. And keep in mind, like, don't overthink it. Just whatever comes to mind that you're like, if I could do anything, this is what I would do. You write these out. And then the idea is that you choose one of them and do something that aligns with that that week. So for example, if you were going to be a country singer, you would maybe find a way to play guitar at some point. Or 
Maybe if you wanted to be a children's book author, you write down some ideas for stories and draw a little picture beside it. And these are just things for yourself. You don't have to show them to anyone. So it's just proving to yourself little bit by little bit that you could do these things. And I think what's fun too is that you could do as many of them as you want. You could try out and be every week for a while, you could be a different person, right? And that's kind of the fun behind these activities. And then the other thing is just to go for a walk and just let yourself think and daydream and not really have anything in mind. Just really appreciate everything around you. Every week you do a check-in to see how many days you did your artist pages. For me, all seven out of seven. Did you do your artist date? Yes, mine wasn't as exciting as it could have been, but I did do that. Were there any issues that you think will be significant for your recovery? And then describe them. And for me, I think it's just, like I said, I'm still working on the play part of it where I need to actually give myself more time to just explore things and just have fun. And so that imaginary lives thing was really helpful for me. Yeah, I think that that's really important too. And so I hope this was helpful for you. And hopefully you can see that like the more you do these things and then realize nothing bad happened, <laughs> nothing terrible is going to happen. It's safe. You're allowed to do it. And remembering that those negative core beliefs are not facts. They're just beliefs. They're things that you are holding on to that you don't need to anymore. And so any of those things that keep coming up, write an affirmation that counters it and then use that when it starts coming up so that that becomes your new inner voice. So next week for week two, we'll be looking at recovering a sense of identity. I'm starting that today and I'm really excited because it's really working on self-definition. And for me, that's going to be really important saying like, like I said, say declaring out loud, I am an artist, realizing what my boundaries and needs are and really just letting myself explore that. So I look forward to sharing that with you and I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Spirit Crumbs. You can find me on Instagram for this podcast at Spirit Crumbs, or you can also find me at Concrete and Crystals for my own spiritual offerings and more tidbits about my own journey. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.